You're listening to the Brand Builders Lab podcast, episode 30. Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast, where learning how to create an epic brand, find the right marketing strategies that work, and building your business is a constant evolution, classroom, and lab. Each week, we'll be diving into all things brand and marketing with special guests and solo episodes to help you build your business brand and big idea. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Suzanne Chadwick, your host, and today I am so excited to share this episode with you. Uh, If you are in Australia or you could be anywhere in the world, you may know Collective Hub, also known as Collective Magazine. And today on the podcast, I've got the amazing Lisa Messenger, founder and editor-in-chief of The Collective Magazine. When it was in publication, obviously some things have changed. And today I'm talking to Lisa about her new book, Risk and Resilience, Breaking and Remaking a Brand. And I seriously found the book fascinating and couldn't put it down. I think what really struck a chord with me is... What we see on the outside with many businesses isn't always the reality on the inside. And Lisa is one of the most honest people when it comes to things like this in business, which is why we love her. She gives it to us as it is, even though others would say to maybe keep it to yourself when things don't go so well. And I have to say, as a business owner, these insights help you keep going. So knowing that even though you may not be at the same scale of something like Collective Hub, you have to keep moving forward, trying new things, getting rid of things that don't work, and sometimes breaking things that you worked so hard to build. In this episode, we're talking all about this incredible journey. Not all good that Collective Hub has been through over the last four to five years, But the moment when Lisa had to scale down in double time to save the business, how they got into the financial issues and lessons you can learn from her journey, how to not be too attached to your business so that it doesn't take you down when things go wrong. I honestly believe that this is a book that every entrepreneur and business owner should read. There are checklists, amazing stories of resilience, insights into running a business with real transparency and flexibility and going with whatever makes your business work, even if it's not how you may have envisaged it at the start. So to grab a copy of the book, you can head to collectivehub.com or I'll be giving away a free copy to one of my amazing listeners. Yes, you, if you leave a review over on iTunes. So this podcast is going live on the 19th of September and I'll draw a winner the week of the 8th of October but I don't want to make you wait any longer. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's podcast. It's a good one. Lisa Messenger, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Hey, Suze. So good to be back with you. (laughs) I know. It's awesome. We were just saying that I saw you a while ago at the um, Waterman's uh, co-working space opening here in Melbourne. And at the time you were like, I've got news, but I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. And now it's all out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is all out, but there's so much more to come. So I yes. know, and I can't wait to hear. So today we are talking about the book Risk and Resilience, which um, I believe is now required reading for all entrepreneurs. <laughs> I found it 
fascinating um, and really amazing. How has the reaction been to the book so far? Well, amazing. I mean, we're recording this on a Friday and the book actually isn't officially out until the Monday. So another three days, two days, whatever that is. Um, but we went up for pre-sale when a month or so ago yeah. and sold like 2017 copies, I think it was in like the amazing. first 24 hours. So, so amazing so far, but it's so funny because, you know, as an entrepreneur, we just move at such a warp speed. And so, you know, that book is such a, train smash of like a really hideous 18 months of my life which we can dig into and I mean I only went to print on it three months ago and the last issue issue 52 of collective hub only came out three months ago I think um yet I am in such a great headspace I feel more on purpose and freaking juiced up and loving life more than ever now so it's sort of funny even though the book's yet to officially land I'm kind of into the whole next chapter, which I love yeah. because it means when people read it and they will relate to me, like, you know, lying on the bathroom floor crying and how hard and horrible, like horrible it was. But I really want to give people hope that, um, you know, you can have permission to break something, be courageous enough to break something if it's not working for you. And then hopefully what I'm now living is a, pure example of like once you're actually courageous enough to do that amazing amazing things actually happen so that's the next next book <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean I did I found the book really like I you know I knew that we were going to be doing this interview and I had only read the first like two or three pages and I already had like 50 million questions for you um, yeah. right from the very beginning because I think that like you talk about in the book there was this perception of what the business was from the outside and what your amazing glamorous life was from the outside but the reality was obviously very different yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah ask me what everyone you know me nothing is off limits so you can just go for gold and I will answer anything so awesome. Awesome. I feel like when you came to my event in like 2015 you said that as well so I love that about you and I feel like in this book you've been super super honest as well and like you said you started writing it in real time in December 2016 which feels yeah. like ages ago now I know and I, I started writing it and by the way I just want to acknowledge you because thank you you have been such an incredible supporter and you're one of those people who has just stuck through everything and been there the whole way through and you're always like my cheerleader and yeah so thank you for that and Pleasure. everything you're doing is amazing um yeah so I started writing it October 2016 and you know I always come up people who know me will know this about me most people who write a book or produce content are like the guru of a topic before they actually do it. Whereas I'm like, I'm going to write a talk. I'm going to like write this topic and step into it and learn it. And I was like, right, the business is in a really crappy space. I'm going to write a book called risk and resilience, which is all about how to get out of that crappy space. And unfortunately it got a whole lot more crappy and I had a very, very different ending to what I anticipated, but you know, it was, yeah, I wrote it. I wrote like 180,000 words or something ridiculous in like 18 months. Um, I mean, the book's only maybe 40,000 words, but yeah, I wrote 
if people wanted to read the 180,000 words, like that's pretty freaking gritty. It was like every day of pain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it was four years of you running the business and growing it and all the rest of it. And then after four years, you decided to bring a CFO and a COO on. So my yeah. question was, who was doing the books before you brought your CFO on? Ah, so no. So I have had a bookkeeper, Kate, who's amazing, based in the Blue Mountains near Sydney for I think like nine and a half years or something. And she is phenomenal. So when the business probably was maybe up to around $2 million turnover, I just had Kate and she was probably working for me externally, maybe three days a week or something like that. So she was always there. Um, then probably in, it was probably that. So I launched Collective 2000, March 2013. It was probably around um, mid-2014. I actually brought a CFO internal, but not the one that I talk about in the book. Another one. And then I bought the big hitter, Jasmine, who's amazing, on in around October, November 2016. Yeah, so I had had a CFO previously, but not one of Jasmine's caliber who came in and was like, you got three months left before you go under. <laughs> I know. And I was literally, and you said, and I just felt so, I felt like really heartsore for you when you said in one week I had like eight of my most trusted oh. staff resign and the CFO said to me, you've got three months. And I was just like, how do you cope with that when this is your baby? Like, I mean, I know how much you put. Well, I probably don't, but you know, we've seen how much you put into it. What, what happens at a time like that when you hear that, when you're going through it? Well, it's hell, Suze, but also so many extraordinary learnings because, I mean, I've had now businesses, my first business I started on 22nd of October 2001. So by the time I launched Collective Hub in 2013, I'd had 11 years of, you know, running businesses, but I'd always, they were always around probably the, um, million to $2 million a year turnover, never had more than three staff. It was a very, 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 very different beast to collective. And data, even though I never liked it much, it was always like I was very intimate with it. It was my friend. I sliced and diced everything to within an inch of its life. Um, you know, in 2015, did Money and Mindfulness come out? You know, I wrote a whole book called Money and Mindfulness. Yeah, I read it. Um, all about, but I mean, it's about mindfulness and, you know, that there's more than one currency than cash and how to do collaborations and that um, making money and doing good in the world don't have to be mutually exclusive and all that kind of thing. It's not about spreadsheets and budgets and stuff. However, still at that point, money and data were an absolute imperative. And what happened was I took my eye off the ball and I'm the only one to blame. And the thing is, and I think this is so important for people listening, is kind of recognize now at whatever stage in business you are, whether it's you as a solopreneur or whatever, what do you love? What's your sweet spot? So I am brilliant, brilliant at being a strategist, a visionary, seeing things before they even exist, moving forward, creating like I freaking love it. Yeah. Terrible, terrible at operations, <laughs> HR, IT, finance, legal, kill me now. I freaking hate it. Yeah. But when a business is growing so rapidly, you cannot afford to take your eye off the ball. And the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. So when I started Collective, I had this great vision. Oh my God, I want to change the world, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And as you know, and is well documented, the print magazine was in 18 countries, uh, 18, 37 countries within 18 months. We had all these other revenue streams, all this other stuff going on. And because I'm kind of a yes person, people would be like, we need more stuff. We need more of this. And I was like, okay. And really, I should have said no a lot more and I should have made people accountable to specific budgets, KPIs, key performance indicators, um, you know, and said, no, you can't spend more money until you make this money or, you know, had lots of specific targets in place. And I just moved too fast. And so suddenly, which sounds ridiculous because I think I'm quite a good business person, but suddenly I was like, it was out of control. You know, it was, um, yeah, pretty close to losing everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you say that, you know, that you had so many staff and salaries were a huge amount. And then the lease that you were looking to take on, which was, yeah well at that point so October 2016 when I started writing this book I had 32 full-time staff um, nearly three million dollars in fixed wages alone just salaries then yeah um, that office lease which was at 250 something grand I think a year um, all the overheads I mean that that was a very costly business going from you know one to two million dollar turnover to like 10xing that very quickly and I just I wasn't prepared. I'm a great founder, yeah. probably a great marketing director, probably a really shit CEO. <laughs> and I mean, I think this is imperative to know. And yeah. Um, yeah, we can kind of get into what happened next. But, you know, as awful as it was, I feel so grateful now about <laughs> the other side because I really believe um, 100% in every single cell in my body that I'm on this planet to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. And I've said that since March 2013. And so I believe the universe throws me what I need to experience to be able to say to other people, don't do that. <laughs> Learn yeah. from my mistake. And if I wasn't throwing such a big curly with that then I wouldn't be able to impart the lessons that I now can yeah and I have to say that was probably the biggest thing for me um like you know obviously you had to scale down really quickly and Uh, yeah you did that which I think is incredible especially with something of that size and so when you made the decision to scale down quickly what did you say what was the conversation that you had with staff like what, how did you kind of handle that situation when you are now in this massive office with all of these people? Uh, well, horrible. Actually, and I'm, I didn't touch on what you said before. So, yeah, so um, just before Christmas in 2016 when I'd taken on the new CFO and COO, eight, eight of my staff resigned in one week. And in the previous four what was that, three and a half years or something, you know, we might have had one rec- um, one resignation, I don't know, every six months. Like our turnover was not high at all. And so to have eight of my most trusted people be just like, I'm out of here, horrible. And I was already drowning in survival mode, you know, and being the sole owner, like I owned and still yeah. own 100% of collective. Which is hub. amazing. And stupid. <laughs> You know, that's a very lonely, lonely yeah. place to be because suddenly I'm like, what, why are you leaving? But in a way I was like, God, if I could, I'd leave too, you know. I like, So I don't blame them. Um, 
but it was horrible, particularly as I think three of them were my, well, I had three people in my sales team and pretty much my whole sales team resigned. And when you're already sinking and in survival mode and you need literally every day, another hundred thousand dollars, another hundred thousand dollars, another hundred thousand dollars. And you suddenly have no salespeople who hold all the contacts and the little black book of connections. I mean, of course we had Salesforce and other CRM happening, but um, you know, I had to literally jump into it myself (laughs) and sell my ass off and dial for dollars, which was horrible. But also one of the best things I ever did, because when you remove yourself from those important relationships with partners and you're not on the ground and you're just hearing sometimes a myriad of excuses as to why people won't buy from you, actually the best thing you can do as a business owner is get back on the ground and personally in touch with these people. And I just, all day, every day, I just dial, hit the phones. And um, and what I realized was, and I talk about it in the book, I can't remember yeah. what the figure was, I did like, Yes, uh, seven hundred thirty-five thousand. I can't even remember what the figure yeah, was, but was like true. some crazy amount <laughs> myself, like the week before Christmas, which is like, you know, notoriously bad for selling. And I realized that actually people freaking loved our brand, and it just took me getting back on the phone. So painful, horrible time, but also, you know, an extraordinary time in a way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not keen to relive it. <laughs> no, that's fine. And you know something? I kind of had the questions about what had happened that. But if I'm completely honest, I think for me, this book has really, um, I guess, brought to life the fact that what we see on the outside is not always what's happening on the inside. And you talk about, you know, how you had all of these people around you who were amazing entrepreneurs that you went to and you were yeah. like, this is what is happening. And they just weren't surprised and yeah. the fact that it happens all the time. And it's, and it happens to super successful people and it's just, it's not unusual. Yeah. Thanks. And I think um, that just gave me shivers because I think that's the thing, what I have learned throughout this journey. And I mean, collective has always stood for being the story behind the story and me being vulnerable and authentic and talking about exactly what happens, but there's real power in that. I think when people pretend that things are glossy and amazing and they're really not, then you just drowned by yourself but as soon as you actually start talking to other people and I use so many examples in the book from big companies like Airbnb and you know Richard Branson and all sorts of other things where they you know at year three or four had this huge failure or nearly went under I mean there's pretty much every successful business I know at one stage or another nearly went under they were courageous enough to pivot change what they were doing and now they're like huge businesses I'm hoping that's my next chapter (laughs) um but you know it's interesting because since I um was courageous enough to close the print magazine and cut the guts out of all the costs and get re-intimate with the data and understand where I made all the mistakes um you know just in the last three months Samantha Wills announced the closure of her business after uh, where she started in 2004. Jodie Fox from Shoes of Prey just announced a week ago. Um, Sarah Wilson, you know, closed I Quit Sugar. Donna Hay closed Donna Hay. Um, So, and, you know, a lot of these people are personal friends of mine and, uh, you know, I've heard a, a lot of stories from different people saying, 
thank you for kind of giving us the courage to actually break something that wasn't working for us either. And, you know, not, it's funny when I started collective was like everyone ran at me going, I've started a business. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm hoping now I'm not the pinup child, but I broke my business. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if they come out stronger on the other end, then that's not a bad pinup girl to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I did really love, you know, and Kathy Reed's story, it's so funny. And, you know, I met her at our event when her uh, and Stuart came in the evening to see you. Uh, and I follow her on Instagram as well. Um, and when I read her story, because I looked and I think, wow, they've got such an amazing life and they're travelling all oh. the time. And I read her story and I was like, wow. Like, to take on risk of that, like, at that level, I mean, even you... But, you know, other people that you talk about in the, in the book or who share their story, I just find it incredible. I just think I have no idea how I would sit with that sort of risk. And it's people like Kathy, who's one of my dearest friends, I mean, mm. and one of the most phenomenal human beings, so down to earth, and Stu, her husband, um, but also, you know, the most phenomenal business people, I think, almost that I know. They're amazing. But, yeah, you read, and I won't spoil the story, but, like, yeah, yeah. they were, like, literally millions and millions yeah. and millions, tens of millions of dollars in debt, and they didn't know how they were going to dig out of it. Yeah, you see her now. I mean, they're valued at well over a billion dollars yeah. now. Um, so, yeah, people can read that story, and that kind of gives you hope and puts everything into perspective, you know? And I talked about in my first book in the series, Daring and Disruptive, I remember um, when I started in 2001, I think someone couldn't pay me like an $80 invoice or something one week. And that for me at the time was like cause of meltdown. Oh my God, $80. And so I want people to understand that everything is in perspective, you know, whilst I now talk in millions because that's how much I lost or, you know, that's my turnover or whatever. um, It wasn't always that way and our propensity for risk you know increases um with experience and as we grow and then you know there's someone like Kathy and Stuart who are just on a completely different level to where I'm currently at so yeah I think that's important for people to recognize your your pain is your pain your success is your success you know take from this what you will but it's all it's different for everybody different levels of scale at different times yeah but I think from all of those stories as well and from your story, I think that what I really felt at the end of the day was almost like it's never too hard. Like yeah. there is always there is always an option, there is always a way, there is always like if you, you know, for you, you needed to scale down and you got on the phones and you sold like you used to probably do. <laughs> and, you know, if we want these businesses and we want to take the risk and, and all the rest of it, then from the stories in the book, I absolutely loved it because I just thought there is always a way to make this freaking happen. Yeah. Want to. There's always a way. And, um, God, there's, there's so many things I could say, but, you know, I think well, I talk a lot about this always, but, yes, money's important, but not for money's sake. So I've literally over the last few years lost millions, which I talk about. Um, and ironically, uh, risk and resilience comes out. My book distributor went under three weeks ago. So just, but see, nothing like nothing worries me anymore. Yeah. And this is a beautiful. This is actually a beautiful story that no one yet knows. Um, Dennis Jones. He's been in business twenty seven years. He's based in Melbourne. 
he's been distributing my books for like 11 years or something. And I got a phone call three weeks ago on a Wednesday saying, Lisa, um, my business is going into voluntary administration this afternoon. And as of this afternoon, I won't have a job. Um, you've got 15 pallets of risk and resilience sitting in my warehouse in Melbourne. If you don't get them out by lunchtime tomorrow, they'll be in lockdown with whatever happens with voluntary administration. And so suddenly I had to be like, oh, okay. But the thing is, it was interesting. So I've lost another, I don't know, 50, 60 grand or something as a result of that. And my book, you know, was going on sale. So within three weeks. So what that essentially meant was, um, you know, a lot of logistics quickly, losing vast amounts of money, having to reappoint another distributor like within 24 hours because basically the book was pre-sold into all sorts of locations and they take it straight out of their database because he went into voluntary administration. So I just quickly got on the phone and, you know, found another distributor, um, someone, Brumby, who I've now appointed, flew down from Melbourne within 24 hours because they wanted, or not even 24 hours, 12 hours or something because they wanted the business. And, um, and Andrea, the head of Brumby, sat with me and she said, you are so calm. And she said, I've had so many angry calls from his clients saying the guy should be in jail and all this stuff. And I was like, why, you know, why this happens. And, um, you can choose to worry about the past and what you've lost, or you can deal with what's in front of you. And I think I've always had an attitude of gratitude, whatever happens, because you just learn from the past, you know, things will happen that are beyond our control we can't control the situation always, but we can control how we react to it. And I think that's, that makes the difference between someone who is perpetually resentful and, you know, having a pity party for one and got that victim mentality, or I'm just going to use this to fuel me and we can make more money. You know, we can always make more money. We can always come up with a solution. We can always grow. So I think that was a long ramble to your point, but I think nothing is insurmountable. We can always get out of anything. Yeah, and I love that as well. But you also talk about the fact that, um, you know, the perception is that if you're growing and scaling, then your business must be doing really well. Yes. I love that you say, if you want your company to truly scale, you first have to do things that don't scale. Handcraft the core experience, get your hands dirty, service your customers one by one and stay intimate. And you talk about how you broke it down. I love it in the book where you've kind of got, you know, the magazine, the events, the office, the culture, what you can do better, you know, where it's at, all of that sort of thing. Can yeah. you talk to that a bit? Yeah, I can. <laughs> so um, I just did a speaking gig for Chris, who's the founder of Pedestrian. He just had an amazing second part of his exit to nine a couple of days ago for $40 million. It's a nice media story. <laughs> <laughs> um and Chris was saying to me, he said, oh, I never forget when I was on a panel with you in like year one or something and you were like, I've got 18 revenue streams. And he said, God, here I was sitting here with like one and I was thinking, how's she doing it all? And I straight away said, well, let me tell you, I've learned a lot from that. So what happens is as you start to grow a successful brand, you know, Collective was like 11-year overnight success, as you know. Nothing really worked for the first 11 years. Suddenly something worked and it worked like crazy. Like the brand just went nuts overnight. And so with that comes a lot of opportunities. Everyone starts coming to you, you know, oh, can we do this collaboration? Can we do this? Can we do this? So being this crazy entrepreneur 
then having not had a scale business or a business that was particularly attractive, I was like, yeah, let's do this, you know, bright, shiny things. Woo. So that's um, dangerous. <laughs> so whilst, whilst in the first year I was like, yay, I chain revenue streams, you know, that was my ego a little bit. And um, then I got very clear on no. What is our focus? What do we stand for? Three words, igniting human potential. What are we under that? So that's like the litmus test. Mm. Does it ignite human potential? No, cross it off. Um, okay, what are we? We are a print business. We are a digital business and we are an events business. We have three revenue streams <laughs> under one very clear focus. And then within those, what do we stand for? And so... You know, that would have been a smart way to start the business, but it was like when things started getting out of control, I had to start chopping off things that weren't working and getting very, very clear and focused again about, you know, what, what we were. So, so that was good. Um, Airbnb, I listened to Guy Raj quite a lot, the podcast, How I Built This. It's great. Um, and there I'm are a lot addicted, by the way. That's oh, like, I, just incredible. Yeah, can't stop listening. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is these amazing stories. Oh. I mean, there's a theme through that around a lot of businesses that, you know, made it to year three or four, kind of nearly went under, rebuilt or whatever. So I love that. And it takes you back to the beginning of founder stories. But there's a great one with, um, Airbnb and that really talks about you know how the guys built it and then investors and people I think said go back you know meet every single one of your Airbnb hosts go into their homes take the photos yourself look at what they're doing and get that intimate with um, or that back to grassroots um, on a micro level and then get that right and then scale it and I think that's really important. Sometimes you've got to just break things back to basics and be unafraid to stop the growth for a while, cut the guts out of the business, get rid of the unnecessary costs. And let me tell you, I had quite a few when 32 staff have access to your credit card and you stop signing off, whatever. Wow. <laughs> Don't even start me. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I always feel like saying, what's the craziest thing somebody ever spent money on? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, that might be a whole other book i tell you i uh so i <laughs> i kind of closed the mag in april and then um, my partner said people would have seen i went to bali and yeah. um you know and everyone's like oh did you have a lovely holiday let me tell you it was the worst holiday of my life because i wasn't ready for a holiday what happened was all these emails kept coming at me and i kept realizing how much money we've spent on like ridiculous things and invoices still coming. And I was like, oh, 10 grand for that, you know, 50 grand. But like, it was really out of control. So, but what's great is my wonderful bookkeeper, Kate and I um, just cut everything. We were, we just slashed everything. We have no direct debits from any of the credit cards anymore. Like there is such a watertight process. It's <laughs> not even funny. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good in as much as it really made me get very intimate with every piece of data again. <laughs> <laughs> good, very good so um the other thing that i really love is and i find really interesting because just generally and it might be with men as well but as women when we start businesses it's like our baby it's like you know we're so attached to it and it's yeah. almost i always uh kind of say as well treat your business like a business and not like a self-validation tool. Yes. Um, and you've also said, you know, what I've learned more recently is to try not to get too attached. Otherwise, when you take a big hit, it's easy to go down with the ship. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, and think your life is over. How, yeah. How have you tried, how have you disconnected now? Uh, well, that point is really kind of important because for many reasons, I think so many people become so attached or their identity becomes so enmeshed. It is like a relationship, <laughs> enmeshed or codependent. Um, on the business and so if that's the case then it's very difficult to um, remove yourself from it because for example I mean collective is a very good case in point um, having a print magazine in 37 countries is a very sexy thing and you get wooed by a lot of people from all over the world yeah. suddenly not having a print magazine a lot of those people will drop away <laughs> so so, so yeah so if i um if i wasn't self-assured and you know didn't have 100 percent unwavering self-belief in myself and know that this is just the beginning and i can do something bigger it would have been easier to keep trying to you know bumble along in survival mode to keep that going just to save face and to have this big thing do you know what i mean yeah. so i think you see that a lot with people they cling on to businesses for way too long because their entire identity is wrapped up in it. And luckily for me, from the get-go, from really from March 2013, I've said that the delivery mechanism in any business really is irrelevant. Yeah. And I will repeat that because it's important. It's um, I mean, Simon Sinek talks about this with kind of what's your why and things. But I think, you know, and Danielle Laporte, she talks a lot about feeling and I love, you know, their words. but I always kind of go, work out what you stand for. You know, if, you, if you're in the shirt manufacturing business and it's all about the shirt, then that's a problem. But if it's like, I want to create something extraordinary for people to have this feeling, then if shirts go out of fashion, it's like you can kind of move with it. Um, so I've always said collective stands to ignite human potential, but it doesn't matter if it's a print magazine or we're doing a podcast or I'm doing a speaking gig or writing a book, or running a workshop, or doing social media, or a myriad of other things, which helps me to have precision focus, but also as a crazy entrepreneur, allows me to move between platforms as and when the audience or our market or our tribe requires them. Yeah. And using the shirt example for people who are like, how does that, you know, I mean, often What's exciting about that is you might start off manufacturing shirts. You might be brilliant at it, but you might really be bored of manufacturing shirts. So you start making a podcast about how to manufacture great, you know, fashion accessories, or you start teaching workshops on how, what's the supply chain? How do you get funded to make shirts? So any business really write a book on how to make the greatest shirt or my experience in making shirts. You know what I mean? Like yeah. any of us, it doesn't actually matter if we have a product or a service, we can all kind of follow a similar um, business map, maintaining that precision focus and what we stand for and what our values and beliefs are, but morph between platform. Yeah, which so, I love as well because that was actually one of my questions. I was uh, <laughs> that, was a, that was a long answer to, um, yeah, how do you not become attached, I think. But, yeah, yeah it's, it's detaching from outcome and surrendering to what is but still knowing unwaveringly what you stand for, what your purpose is, what your why is. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which I think goes really um, well as well into you were talking about the fact that you had people in the business that were like the media industry is just really hard and, and you know, it's, it's all just yes. too hard and it's crumbling and we've got like there's no hope kind of thing. And, you know, I love the fact that you sort of talk about, um, you know, you deciding what you where you want to go and what you want to do and not allowing the market to dictate like yeah this goes oh that used to drive me nuts and and actually this is a really important thing for anyone starting out as you know when I started in March 2013 I had three staff under the age of 25 none of them had ever worked for media or a magazine and I hadn't and it was kind of a beautiful naivety because we didn't know what the rules were so we just broke every single one of them but as I moved through I started employing a few people who had worked for a magazine or the media and sometimes part of that's good because they're a specialist and they understand certain parts that, you know, quite frankly, I had absolutely no idea about. But also a really dangerous part of that is they start dictating that, oh, no, you can't do that in the magazine industry or, oh, this is really tough because the media is tough or these, um, you know, external societal norms or expectations start creeping in and, you know, the status quo, the way it's always been done, all that, and I freaking hate that. You know, it drives me nuts. So I used to challenge them all the time and say, well, we're not necessarily in the media industry. Like we, we're in delivering extraordinary content or we're in igniting human potential. We're doing events. We're doing all sorts of other things that, you know, delivery mechanisms that aren't just about print, which people say it's going under. And also we're doing that so differently. So I don't buy into that. I think people use um, industry-based excuses or whatever's going on externally to validate um, their lack of performance sometimes. <laughs> I was going to say that in that yeah. that's how that came out. Just <laughs> say it. That's fine. And, yeah, when you talk about educating yourself about what that new environment looks like and the fact that, like you said, it doesn't have to be media. I mean, you, you kind of sit across industries and it's yeah. really about, you know, that purpose and, and how you deliver it. Um, and also, sorry, just on that, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, you're but right. Also, but also what is media now? Like, you know what I mean? We all... Every single one of us, I don't care who you are, whether you're working for a business or it's your own personal brand, like we all own the media now. We own them. If we have an Instagram account, we own media. Yeah. If we have a blog, if we have a website, if we're on Facebook, like we all own the media. I'm no different. So it's like the argument about the media going under, it's like defunct. It's like find a better way, you know, make your yeah. own rules. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, you're fine, you're fine. And the other thing I loved was the open letter to the corporates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's dig into that, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> I was just, it's incredible because like you said, so many of them said to you, the magazine is my Bible, you've changed my life, you've inspired me. Mm. And senior people in large organisations who obviously wanted a lot from you and you said you had supported for a long time, Hmm. it's just I just don't really understand it like they've got so much money yeah 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 and I will not name and shame no I know <laughs> it's not my way but um but I will say this yeah it's like and this is like that letter to that open letter to corporates is really from me and all startups and 
all businesses because it's like if you love us, then support us. You know, all these people who would come to me saying, this is a constant thing. Oh, can you do PR on our business or, you know, and then we'd be like, well, we've already done 15 stories on you. You know, could you give us some money out of your advertising or partnerships budget? Oh, no, we don't spend money on print media anymore. And I was kind of like, well, if you don't spend money on us, we're not going to be around to actually do PR and free stories on you. You know, it's got to be, everything's got to be a two-way street. And yes, then there were very senior people. I mean, one woman ran off a stage at me one day, <laughs> like spotted me in the audience. And she probably had one of the most senior positions in the whole of Australia and said to me, Lisa, collective's my Bible. Like it's my everything. It's what's kept me going. And I was like, could you spend, it's like, I have a lot of different assets to spend money on. Like, could you take out an ad? Could you buy subscriptions for your team? Could you buy some of my books? Could you book me for a speaking gig? I'll give you a whole lot of stuff to buy. Yeah. Oh no, I don't have any budget. I'm like, well, I can't keep helping you all if you can't support me. So yeah, that, that was, that was tough, you know, but at the end of the day, it's my responsibility and maybe I needed to create other things that people really would spend money on. So you've always got to look at yourself as well as the external environment, haven't you? Did you find that any of them came to the table? Um, it's kind of not really. <laughs> I mean, yeah. None of them. None of them came well, to the table. It's hard when I'm like the eternal optimist and I want to see good in everyone. That's my natural default. And I also want to support everyone. But, um, yeah, so in their own ways, I guess some of them certainly have. And then there's other people like I call one out, Frankie Footwear. I mean, Caroline, who owns that, she started, you know, this footwear business a few years ago and um, our ads were 10 grand a page in the magazine and every issue she would buy an ad. And I was like, this is a startup and she's amazing. And other big corporates are saying no to things all the time. And now she sent me a beautiful email the other day just saying the brand is doing so well. And people will probably see me wearing Frankie's all the time on my Instagram things. That is not a paid partnership. It hasn't had anything to do with money, but because she supported me so much for so long, I would do anything for that brand. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there have been beautiful stories like that. And actually since closing the print mag, some people have come out of the woodwork and kind of, you know, other opportunities have arisen. But no, there are still big corporates who still want stuff for free and for nothing in return. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just the nature of it. And I guess now I'm just a little more discerning about how much free love I give out. It's not that kind of party anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> quotable. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So what's next? Where are you? What's happening? What are you excited about? Uh, I'm excited about everything. I feel like it's really funny throughout that 18 months of kind of drowning every day. I'm like one of the most positive little energizer bunnies you'll ever meet. But that 18 months, I really started to, my everything was being sapped, all my energy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I started to feel like, my gosh, am I ever going to be the best version of me again? Like, I feel like I'm losing it. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, losing it. Let's just leave it. There. 
And now I probably the last month or so, I'm just like jumping out of bed. Like I'm so insatiably, insanely excited about the future. So that feels really good. Um, the thing is my vision and what I want to do hasn't changed. Not one little bit. It's just that now that I've broken everything, I've got the freedom, um, and the time and the space to recreate. So what I've been doing, and this is kind of my whole next book, next everything. I love how you're talking about the next book. Yeah. I know because I write every day. Like, so it's sort of, I live my life. by <laughs> Um, so, so in the end, I, which I don't really talk about in risk and resilience. I ended up making every single one of my staff redundant, mm -hmm. very expensive. Um, and I love them all dearly. And they were the most extraordinary team. Like they, because I told them what I was doing and took them through that journey, they were unbelievable. So all the staff from the end are like my best, best friends. And most of them, there's about 17 of them that are working for me now. Um, but they are all on project by project, mm. decentralized, um, uh, working from wherever they want and uh, they all have their own budgets, KPIs, and the more they achieve, the more work they get. And it's an entirely different way of working. So for 16 and a half years, not a day went by when I didn't have an office and at least three staff. And now um, I have my touring and events manager, Ian, is based in Perth. My publicist, Georgie, is based in Wagga. You know, I've got people everywhere now. And so I'm really excited to see where that can go. Um, what it means is when there were 32 people sitting in the office, say we were doing a cover for the mag, really only two people needed to be involved in that conversation, but 32 people were always involved. So it was highly inefficient. But now having everyone decentralized, it means we come together via Zoom or, you know, all sorts of other tools when we need to. Yeah. Some of them we come together in person for a few hours a week, but then we go away and we actually get the work done. Yeah. Um, and people only know about projects when they need to. So, so far it is like insanely efficient and, um, and we're really starting to build Collective Hub back up in a much more sustainable way, um, which will have a lot more longevity. So, yeah, you'll start to see a lot more things happening over the next few months. But, yeah, I'm really thrilled. I think you see that a lot. It's not that I broke it because I didn't love it. I love it more than ever. It's just that I broke it because I had to um, and now I can build it up in a much better way to continue to serve our community, really. Yeah, <laughs> And have a great life. <laughs> <laughs> and I think your community is still 100% behind you and waiting to see what happens next and wishing, you know, you all the best in whatever, whatever it is that comes next. You obviously talk in the book that potentially there's a big tech move maybe, which just totally makes sense really because that's how we consume things. But, um, but, yeah, I think it's exciting and we're all just like waiting to see what happens now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing as well, Sue, is like, you know, when you're in business and you're managing so many people, you often don't have the time and the space, ironically, 
to spend time continuing to educate yourself. Like it's yeah. lots of piecemeal stuff, but I'm really trying to immerse myself in, like I've been at the Women in Tech conference in Sydney the last two days in and out. Um, I'm really starting to, you know, consume lots of podcasts and just, I'm a seeker, so I'm learning and consuming and I don't have the answers yet and I'm kind of happy about that. Again, it's about surrender and detachment from outcome and then suddenly as what happened with collective you know boom overnight it was like oh my god I should do a print magazine <laughs> so I, it'll land when it's ready but for now I'm just having a lot of fun again you know it's yeah. good I'm having fun again and that's what it's all about when business becomes unfun not fun anymore um then it's time to to be courageous enough to break something Amazing. Lisa Messenger, thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. Thank you, Susie. Beautiful to connect with you. I love you. Your energy, your laughter, it's infectious. You too. And we can't wait to see you down in Melbourne. Yeah. Thanks, beautiful. Well, that was a big one, wasn't it? So many good things to talk about. And seriously, do get your hands on a copy of this book. Go and leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. I would love to give this away. Um, It is just so good. But until next time, thanks so much for hanging out. I do love it when you hang out with me on the podcast. It's just so nice to have these amazing chats with super interesting entrepreneurs doing big things. Hopefully you're learning from these podcasts as well. I learn every single time I interview somebody and it's just such a gift. So enjoy, have a great week. And obviously if you're not following me on socials, you can find me everywhere at Suze Chadwick. Speak soon.